everybody. Welcome to Tunes Made Episode 6. I'm Mark. And I'm Ryan. And guess what? Today, we're going to talk about movies and movie music. It's amazing that I was thinking about this. With movies and music, correct me if I'm wrong, Ray, but I really feel like there's either original music scores, so songs that you know, Back to the Future, Rocky, Star Wars, stuff like that, or you got the flip side where you do kind of like a Forrest Gump where you take all the songs that you know and love and kind of integrate them into a movie so you kind of sing along and you already know that, well, if I put Happy Together, it's going to put you in a good mood because you already know it's kind of a hit song. Is that how you kind of categorize movie music? Well, I guess there are movies that rely more on songs, right? Mm -hmm. So the technical definition of a song is that it has to have lyrics. I mean, like technically something like the Miami Vice theme is not a song. It's a tune, it's music, but it's not a song because technically song means it has... So I'm kind of working from that definition. And I'm wrong, actually. I was thinking, I forgot about musicals. Yeah, that's, that's a whole yeah, other category. Musicals. But I think, you know, there are movies that rely, I mean, every movie has a score. I mean, even mm-hmm. you mentioned Forrest Gump, and I can think of the score from Forrest Gump. Oh, that's in my true. Head. That's true. So, or at least, you know, pretty much every movie has a score. Because mm-hmm. they've always got background music, and it's always interesting to me to see, to watch movies. Sometimes when I teach, like, classes that involve film, we'll, we'll have, you'll have students watch a film without the sound. And you can see just how much the score really kind of helps create the emotion that you feel. But then there are movies that just basically have the score. And then there are movies that rely on songs, too. And so, like you said, I think you've got sort of a breakdown of two that go on there. You've got movies that take what are already established hit songs and incorporate them, like Forrest Gump. And then you've got, you know, your movies that have a whole host of songs that were written for the movie. So Footloose, Top Gun, you name it, movies like that, where the soundtrack was part of the phenomenon. Yeah, that's true. And what's interesting is if you look at movies now, there seems to be the shift, at least what I'm seeing lately, that you're spending a lot more time on some of that original score. It seemed like for a while there was this tendency, as we're talking about it, to use the catalog of songs. And in the 80s, there seemed to be the original soundtrack, and that was part of it. And then it kind of faded away. I don't know if that was because of the music industry, but there wasn't as much of these original soundtrack. Yes, a lot of the kids' movies, trolls, and, and things of that nature have original songs that are being created for them. But it doesn't seem like you have those blockbuster soundtracks that every track on it is is being released and it's it's huge. It just doesn't seem like that has been the case. But it seems like there's a revival in that as of late with a lot yeah, of these, I, these films. I was actually thinking about exactly that thing today because I'm kind of amazed sometimes at how things are different than they were 30 years ago. So, you know, I mentioned Footloose or Top Gun. Mm-hmm. I even think of like Cocktail, right? The, you know, these movies that had, and as you said, the soundtrack was part of the experience. You got the soundtrack and there were 10, 12 songs on there that you then associated with the movie. And of course, there were plenty of hits that came out throughout that the whole decade. I mean, in the 70s and the 80s into the 90s. And today, it always seems to me weird because I don't, it doesn't seem like you see that anymore. Like you said, you'd have these few blockbuster hits, right? Dirty Dancing comes out in 87. 
and it, you know they got three top 10 hits and a couple other and then another top 40 hit that came off of it and then a couple other songs that even hit the chart so but certainly three top 10 hits and you've got all of these movies that kind of did that kind of thing or even if you didn't have that you even you had like the signature song that that still did well on the radio right so mannequin the movie from 87 you know i mean i don't think of the mannequin soundtrack as this thing that i remember but nothing's going to stop us now by starship one of the biggest hits of the the year that year and there was this that was part of the experience and like you said today you'll see it with with kids movies so the trolls you mentioned trolls trolls was the one that came to mind i'm always kind of i mean i I have little kids and so i see kids movies and it's interesting to me to see that the songs that i would think would have done well on the chart don't so my kids like zootopia and the Shakira song from there, Try Everything, it hit the chart. It didn't hit the top 40. It didn't do well. But that's like a song that in the 80s, it seems like, would have just been a top 10 hit. But I thought of Trolls, and I'm like, oh, so, so songs don't do that. But I'm like, no, there are some that do. So Let It Go from Frozen hit the top 10. And Trolls came to mind because Justin Timberlake did hit number one with Can't Stop the Feeling off of Trolls. But again, I'm talking about all kids' movies here. But then I thought of, just a few months ago, Shallow by Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper hit number one, and it was partly fueled by its uh, Oscar award, but things have changed. I The whole business of how that works, and, and I think a, a lot of it, uh, we've talked before about the record industry changing, chart the way the chart works has changed, the way that they release singles and they release product has changed, and so I think the emphasis has changed. And so while in the 80s there were these soundtracks that were part of the experience that had either a host of hits or that signature hit like St. Elmo's Fire or something like that. Today, I think you get cases like that, but you don't get this sort of soundtrack thing like you did. Yeah, and the success of Bohemian Rhapsody, the Queen tribute, essentially, that is now going to cause a domino effect of all these documentaries. So the Queen movie, the soundtrack, also was successful because it was a celebration of Queen music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now you're going to see this resurgence of all these documentaries and all those soundtracks, whatever biopic they're going to do, whether it's you know from Elton John yep. or some other yep. ones that are coming out that you know probably have been sitting around, well, you know, should we release it? Now we are. There is just going to be a flood of music of artists, so you're going to be seeing that soon. And in that, I think that's going to be a trend that's going to go on for a while now, just because of the success of that. So I think that's going to fuel some things. I think musicals, those always have had a very steady stream. And the thing that amazes me is I know that, for example, we had Harry Potter. That was very theatrical. But I'm trying to think in my mind, and I know you know that film series better than I do, but Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of, was the soundtrack actually something, I mean, definitely was something that helped move the movie along, but I can't think of a, like a hit single from that soundtrack that pops into my head unless I'm. No, there weren't. I I own, I own all of the Harry Potter soundtracks. I own Mm -hmm. all eight of them. And I can tell you. I think the only one that actually has songs on it that aren't score, I think, I, I know I know the, the fourth movie, The Goblet of Fire, has a couple of songs on it, and I actually like them. Um, but I remember actually when I bought that soundtrack, and I loved the soundtrack, and I 
I remember even listening to the two songs. And what it was was in the film, they have the Yule Ball. And so they've got this live band playing at the Yule Ball. I think they call themselves the Hippogriffs or something. Or No, that's one of the songs, Can You Dance Like a Hippogriff? And uh, I can't remember the name of the band now. Sisters or something. I don't know. Wicked Sisters, something. I just don't remember. I'm sure there are Potter fans out there who might hear this and are like, oh, you, you, why don't you know that? The That's the only one that has... If I remember right, that's the only one that actually has songs on it. It has like two or three at the end. And the rest is all score. So, yeah, in that in that regard, there were, you know, they didn't do songs. They did, it was all score. Which, you know, I mean, but that's typical of that kind of genre. I mean, we didn't have hit songs off of the Indiana Jones movies in the 80s. Uh, the only Star Wars were hit songs were things like Mecco taking it and putting a disco beat to it, right? So, you know, Harry Potter works in that genre, Try to think of movies that would be, you know, movies have changed too. So that's that's kind of uh, where I was going down that path of is is yeah, it seemed you know, like I'm, the soundtrack fueled the movie, and now it's kind of reverse. It's like the movie and the story is is the top, and music is kind of there to keep it moving along. Yeah, well, I mean, think about. Um, I was looking at this a while back, several months ago, because you really, I mean, there are there are romantic comedies that are made. Right. We know that there are romantic comedies that come out in the movie theater, but there are very few, if any, recent romantic comedies that are blockbusters. So in the 80s, even into the 90s, right, Ghost was a blockbuster. Dirty Dancing was a blockbuster. Pretty Woman was a blockbuster. They did well. I mean, Dirty Dancing wasn't they didn't intend it. They didn't think it was going to be a blockbuster, but it was. And occasionally uh, other ones have come along. My Big Fat Greek Wedding, that ended up being a blockbuster. But by and large, the films that are the big tent films that are the films that are the huge. I mean, none of those are really I guess, big tent films, you know, the one that the, the studio hung its hat on. But they ended up, you know, doing very well and being in the top 10 for the year. We don't see that among romantic comedies and those kind of films anymore. The things that are big, right, are Black Panther, The Avengers, Star Wars, Harry Potter, or, you know, the Harry Potter spinoff, the new Star Trek thing. It's all mm-hmm. of the sci-fi fantasy comic book stuff, right? But there is the, uh, what is it, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, but... That soundtrack, but, but that was yeah. once again part of the film. Yep. Yep. But it, that's like the Forrest Gump thing that you mentioned, right? That was taking a bunch of old songs and mm-hmm. saying, hey, do you remember, you know, Ooga Chucka, Ooga Chucka, <laughs> I can't stop this feeling, you know, or whatever. Yeah, you're right. That's it, a good point. But again, it was a right. The genre of film was the, the comic book genre. For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. But but they had that twist. And that was a throw to baby boomers and Gen X folks. Hey, remember these songs? And, and, you know, the kid's supposed to be, you know, the guy that Chris Pratt plays, right, supposed to be like a, like a Gen X kid who, you know, grew up in the 70s and into the 80s and remembers these songs from his youth. So, yeah, you're right. But even that one, you know, that doesn't work in the same way that Top Gun did in the 80s. That wasn't, you know, that's one of those more nostalgia ones, like what you mentioned with Forrest Gump. So it, the film industry has changed and what they're focusing their energy on has changed. I mean, romantic comedies still come out. Right. You can still go see them. They still have songs in them, but those songs aren't the blockbusters because the films aren't the blockbusters because well, blockbuster doesn't exist anymore except one location in Oregon. Right. No. Um, but right. but, you know, it, it because the, maybe that's it's sort of my answer here and our answer, because 
films have changed, the way that soundtrack music has changed, and thus the songs that we remember as soundtrack stuff have changed and the things that are hits have changed, etc. And like you said, the ones that, that we do hear about are like the Disney stuff. The ones from, well, not just Disney, but Pixar, you know, whatever, all the different studios uh-huh. there. But the kids' films, right? So so in recent years, we had Happy from Despicable Me. We had Can't Stop the Feeling from Trolls, right? Those both go number one. Uh, Let It Go is the top is a top five hit, etc. Yeah, but I remember going out and buying the Dragnet, the one with Tom Hanks and oh, Dan God. Aykroyd. I'm yep. buying the cassette and thinking, oh my gosh, I... I Tom Hanks is rapping in a song <laughs> along with hey, Dan Papa, Mr. Crime Stopper. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Oh my God. I, I watched that video uh, uh, hundreds of times in the yeah. summer of 1987. That was yep. released, I believe before the movie. So I went out, I bought the tape. I was pumped. I couldn't believe it. You know, I think art of noise was on there and some other, some other artists, yep. but I had it on loop and I went to the movie and I was like, okay, well, it's not as good as the soundtrack. <laughs> the same with, I think it was Caddyshack 2. There's a yep. song on there by Kenny Loggins. Same thing. Yep. I rushed out. I heard yep. the song on the radio. I bought the set and I went to see the movie. So the music was yep. always influenced me to actually go see the movie. And yep. I, it just as we're talking about, it, I just feel it's kind of the opposite. It's like I'm really looking forward to this thing. And if there's flavors of music in it, great. For example, yep. there was, there's a... I think it's it's a spin-off. It's called The Good Fight instead of, you know, the, the Good Wife. And I think it's an internet-only thing that's out there. And recently I was watching some episodes and there was a song in there. It's called, like, It's Your Birthday. And it's, mm-hmm. it was by, uh, I can't think of the name of the artist. It's going to slip my mind. But it was a new version of Singing About Your Birthday that was in there. And it was kind of a ironic thing. And I looked it up. I think I Shazammed it or something. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Who does this song? So it was the opposite. It was where I was l- watching something and I shazammed the episode to find out what the song was instead of the other way around. Right, so I, right. I, I think that's the way it is. It's that product placement and song placement to get you to purchase something because yep. you're really interested in watching it instead of the other way around just because no one's really buying you know, records, new, obviously there's still interest in vinyl and these things, but it's not as, I guess, dramatic or at volume as it was back in the day, quote unquote. Well, well, and I mean, God, the the examples are flooding through my head right now. You know, you mentioned Dragnet. Oh my, like I said, I I love that video and listen to that song. I can still, you know, I'm here tonight to rap about your rights. whole, Whole verses of it, you know, of Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, rapping but you know one that that comes to mind as well they say like you know help sell the movie although i, I would have seen the movie anyway and i like the movie anyway but and my wife and i were just talking about this a couple weeks ago so a couple weeks ago listening to sirius xm and they had uh, the big 40 countdown from the 80s and they were doing 1986 and it was when peter Cetera, gloria love was number one karate kid right yeah karate kid part two. Oh, part two yeah part two which i mean that's uh, that album I used to have that soundtrack and you know, it was, a, it was your typical 80s soundtrack. It had like 10 songs from different artists. The, uh, a new edition had a hit off of it. I'm trying to remember. I think there might've been one other song off of it that might've hit the hot 100. I just don't remember. But of course, Gloria Love was the big one. Right. And, mm-hmm. and we were talking, my wife and I were talking about the idea that the song was what helped make the movie. 
I, I mean, I, I still like the movie, but that song, I love that song. That was like my favorite ballad of the 80s. A Knight in and, Shining Armor? Yeah. Like a knight in shining armor, right exactly. from a long time ago. Right? I mean, this is, I mean, I just, and even the piano part at the beginning, Mm-hmm. That's that's one, and it helps sell the movie. Like you said, you know, you you listen to the soundtrack, and it helps sell the movie, and and it was the the sort of synergy between music and film. And I don't think you can say that that went away. I think it just works differently. You know, it, right? It, think of it, Top it, Gun. I mean, yo, yeah, totally Top Gun. Everything I mean, about it. It was the whole bravado of the anthem and danger zone. And I think there was a cheap trick song on there and yep, there, yep. It, it was amazing. About Mighty wings or yeah. something. Right. By the way, top gun two coming out soon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See what we'll see what they'll see. Maybe they'll have a, a new hit, you know? Well, well and, and yeah, danger zone, take my breath away. I, I can see that. I can see the heaven in your eyes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Harold Faltermeyer, I believe wrote the. Oh hit- yeah. Yeah. Axel F. I know he's been um, asked to come back t- for Top Gun 2. So there's yeah. they're trying to bring back all those 80s artists to try to rekindle that. But, oh, yeah, Axel F. My gosh. If that Axel F song was not in Beverly Hills Cop. Right. Imagine it. Although, so speaking of Beverly Hills Cop, right, I just featured them on Tunes Made with the Daily 80s flashback. And there were a whole host of songs off of Beverly Hills Cop. That made that a phenomenon too, and then Beverly Hills Cop Two, right? Was Shake Down by Bob Seger, Cross My Broken Heart by the Jets, and even um, I Want Your Sex by George Michael before it was on his Faith album came off of the Beverly Hills Cop Two album. I forgot you know, about that. That was, I mean, the Beverly Hills Cop One and Two both were great soundtracks. How about Three? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the movie, the soundtrack didn't quite take as much. But this is this thing that the the songs and the, the movies that they were connected to, and even other things. So just just this past just what a week or two ago, we recognized the 30th anniversary of Bat Dance going to number one. So Prince writes this weird song, but I was watching it when I was writing that that post for Tunes Made. I was watching it again and. I, I was kind of liking it even more than I did back in the day. Me too. Yeah, and it's just kind of the the whole feel of it, right? There was this this weirdness to it, but this darkness to it, and and I think Prince actually kind of captured some stuff with that. And he had like a, a couple. Of, he did the album for that, and he it did the music me, for that Batman, the first Batman movie. There, it made me want to well, see it too, and that was the yeah. first time that Michael Keaton was Batman, so it was a yep. big deal. Yeah, and so and then so then you get to twenty five years ago right now, the number one song in the country was Stay I Missed You by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. And Lisa Loeb went on to have a few other top forty hits. That wasn't her only hit. That was you know it's the one she's most known for. But, you know, she went on to have a few more hits, but that was her first single on the chart. It was obviously her biggest hit, went to number one. But it also it was from Reality Bites. And Reality Bites was one of those movies that took some old stuff and some new stuff and threw it together, made a soundtrack out of it. But, you know, it was right at that period where I think we were starting to see the change that we've been talking about. Grunge. Yeah, well, where where movies, soundtracks were still kind of a thing, but 
if you start moving after where we're talking 90, 1994 here, uh-huh. if you even just look five years later, movie soundtracks aren't quite the thing that they were 10 years before that. I can literally look at the late 80s and look at like number one songs and I can I can pull this out. Things like Kokomo from the Beach Boys, Groovy Kind of Love from Phil Collins, and of course Two Hearts right after that. Uh, Rock On by Michael Damien, right? Bat Dance I just mentioned. We can go through and find all of these these hits from movies. And by the time you get to the end of the nineties, you're kind of you're I think you're into the, the sort of new paradigm. But Reality Bites was kind of right on that moment in between, and of course it did. It had the big hit song. Yeah, and there's there's always a couple exceptions, because there's a couple that pop into my mind, like Bad Boys, Bad Boys 2, I think it was Will Smith and Martin, Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence. Yep. And they had a song, they had a couple hits off those albums. Uh, I remember, was that, that was probably later 90s, but there there's definitely still was that one song that came off of it. It wasn't a blockbuster, both sides, four or five hits. I'm even thinking about some of the, I'm thinking about Back to the Future. I mean, sure, that's 85, but that whole album, you had Huey Lewis in the news, and and then all of a sudden you jump up to 95, and yeah, I think think Tupac had a hit that was out, part of a movie, if I can recall. Well, you did have, so, I mean, and I'm kind of probably contradicting myself here. I mean, I guess the, the thing was, like you said, you had exceptions, right? So uh, Aerosmith, of course, in 98, gets the biggest hit of their career. Number with one. The movie, movie song, right? They're, yeah, their only number one hit, right? I don't want to miss a thing. I mean, just, just like, what, two years before that, you had uh, Dangerous Minds, uh, Coolio. Gangsta's um, Paradise. Yeah, Gangsta's Paradise. So, I mean, you had, you still had some of that, but I think the sort of... It was single-oriented. Of it, yeah, the prevalence of it. It was still going on, but and again, it still kind of goes on today. But I just think the the prevalence of it that it was a a constant thing. There were bunches of soundtracks every year, and a number of these films were doing this kind of thing. It's probably all because of John Hughes. It's you know <laughs> John Hughes guys. We got to have a blockbuster soundtrack for this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, think about so so think about John Hughes movies. Obviously, Breakfast Club had the big hit. So mm-hmm. Simple Minds goes to number one with uh, Don't You Forget About Me off of Breakfast Club. Okay? What other big hits come from John Hughes movies? Home Alone theme? Yeah, I mean, no, like big top 40 hits. Like, yeah, Home Alone music, which of course was written by John Williams, who did Star Wars and, you know, all the other stuff. You know, I mean, 16 Candles had a bunch of songs on it. Did he do Pretty in um, Pink? Pretty in Pink. I think, there's a, I think there was at least one top. Well, maybe I don't think that song hit top forty though. Psychedelic Furs. I think they had a song called Pretty in Pink right, off that album. Right, they did. Yep. But I mean, were did you have the huge blockbuster hit the way that Breakfast Club did? What and was, I mean, even the Breakfast Club soundtrack, which is I, one of my favorite soundtracks, it only had the one hit. What was OMD if you leave on? Wasn't that on a soundtrack? Yeah, so that's the one you're thinking of. OMDs, if you leave, right? Top five, big classic 80s song, mm-hmm. right? So a couple of them. Was that on Breakfast Club as two? No, so- no, that wasn't on Breakfast Club. That's on. Uh, that's off of Pretty in Pink, isn't it? I think it is, which I believe. I'm out of it. My brain is not. Yeah, I think it is because I remember. 
I was reading a story recently about that where John Hughes requested, said, hey guys, I know this is late notice, but I need a song from you for my soundtrack. So it seemed like there was a lot of concerted effort to create these soundtracks right. specific for movies because, once again, they help yep. draw the audience. Right. Which, so I think we've identified that's really the pattern now. It's Now it's you have a movie, you create music to keep people engaged. Sure, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, it's that way, while in the past it was the other way, which you created the music to get people <laughs> to see the movie. Right. I think there's, Elvis. you know, again, we can find <laughs> exceptions, but I think that there's a there's a definite difference in terms of the trend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, pretty in pink. Yeah, okay. it had to have been, because I knew it wasn't Breakfast Club, and I knew it wasn't 16 Candles, so it had to have been. And even, you know, think of John Hughes, you know, Weird Science, Oingo Boingo had a hit, but it didn't even go top 40. Yeah, they, so, I, I guess they were a no-hit wonder. Well, okay, so no hit wonder, right? They had, yeah, they had uh, two songs hit the Hot 100, but my definition of no hit wonder, you have to have at least five songs hit the Hot 100 without hitting the top 40. So that's my definition. I'm going to work on that. One of these days I'm going to have, maybe we'll do a, maybe we'll do a a show on that or something, but. Okay. I like the definition. So, because I want it to be substantial. I even, because I've even looked it over, right? Because I'm working on a project for it and. I thought about doing it for four, but four adds a lot, a lot of acts to it. And five makes it a little more exclusive. And so okay. I think there's sort of some, some tension even in my own mind about three is, two, is not enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's gotta be either four or five. And I, I sort of, I lean toward five, but there might be an argument for four. Yeah. No always... hit wonder, you know, the... Steve Alamo, he's the, the, the biggest no hit wonder. He's the person who's the, the act who's had, the most hot 100 hits without ne- well never hitting the top 40. Well, here at Tunes Mate, we love the number 5. 5, 10, 15, 20. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I think f- from a Tunes Mate perspective, I think you you feel very strongly that 5, you know, that's, that's yeah, a that's good right. number. The Centune, right? The, yep. I mean, my favorite Rocky movie is 5. Uh, I love Ghostbusters 5. Uh, Ghostbusters. Wait, is there, is there a 5 yet? Jaws 5. Well, the the 5th Harry Potter book was my favorite. Yeah. I don't know. The fifth Star Wars movie was the worst. So, you know. Um, well, it depends which way perspective you're looking at. Wouldn't that be Empire Strikes Back then? Oh, then it was the best. You're right. Okay, right? let's go with that one. See? Yes, you go in the order they were made, it was the worst because it was Attack of the Clones. But Empire Strikes Back's the best film. So, yeah, let's. Yeah, the, see? yeah so. Number you're five. Right. You're right. You're right. Episode five. Yep. It is interesting, yep. though, how to me, movie music means something different than probably most just because when I hear a song, I want to watch the movie. <laughs> you know? right. or, and when I think of things, you know, I'm even thinking about the Pink Panther theme. You know, Pink Panther is a cartoon, but it also was a comedy series. <laughs> that yep. makes me laugh. I think of Chariots of Fire. Yep. I mean, just that theme. All of a sudden, yep. I want to watch the movie. It's just songs are powerful. Yeah, I routinely listen to music scores when I do work, like grading papers, reading, etc. I, I I can't have words usually, so I like to listen to instrumental music. And a lot of times I'll put movie scores on because mm-hmm. it's just not, it's good. It has enough emotion without being so in my face that I can't concentrate, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not boring. So it, it you know kind of keeps me going. So I, yeah, I listen to movie scores all the time and things like Superman, right? The theme to Superman mm-hmm. or um, James Bond. 
Yeah, the James Bond theme. Uh, even we mentioned Breakfast Club. I mean, there are a couple of instrumental tracks on the the soundtrack to Breakfast Club. There's the end, the love theme at the end, and that's a beautiful piece of music to me. Or Wasted Rock Ranger. Wasted Rock Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's no, a, totally. It's a good um, instrumental piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or um, in Jerry Maguire, actually, from the mid-'90s, there's a an instrumental piece that goes with him having his sort of epiphany at the beginning of the movie. And it's a, a beautiful piece of music. Oh my gosh. You just triggered a memory. Think about Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. He had secret garden. Yeah. That song caused people to go see that movie. It was played nonstop. You know, a song is popular when they make a movie mix of it, where they actually incorporate a scene into the song. And there's right. actually a separate version, because I remember there was the yep. Bruce Springsteen regular version, and then there was one, the movie mix. And right. it's amazing how that, once again, that drove people there. And that was still around that period where the soundtrack kind of brought you in. Bridget Jones' Diary. The one series, though, I think that does fall in line recently to kind of this Bohemian Rhapsody kind of thing was the, what was it, the ABBA series? Where was it? Pierce Brosnan and they kind yeah, of, Mama Mia. Mama Mia. They did one and two, and yep. but it was basically they took the songs and mm-hmm. they they made a musical out of it. But it was a musical, but it was kind of a tribute to that band. So, and I mean that's a long-standing tradition. It's a mu- I mean uh, Mama Mia. Uh, it's actually uh, I saw the musical uh, well 15 years ago. When I was in Arizona, it was off Broadway. Came by and, and we went to see it, and it was it was awesome. I loved it. I like ABBA anyway, and, and one of my dreams is to go to the ABBA Museum someday. And but we went to see it, and uh, it was a great musical. And then they they make a film out of it, right? And they've done this. I mean, Chicago's like that. You know, they, that's a, you know, Cats is coming out right this this winter. They're making a, a film out of that, right? And that's a long-standing tradition in Hollywood. SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a long-standing tradition in Hollywood to take a successful musical and turn it into a film. And so you're right, right? So you've got like the, these kind of soundtracks that, the and of course there's a tradition of taking musicals and turning them into films. And then there's a tradition that's really picked up in the past few decades of taking a pop music artist, turning their songs into a musical. And then eventually turning that musical into a film, in some cases, right? So, mm-hmm. so Billy Joel's "Moving Out," right? It's a successful musical. Jersey Boys, right? Is you know based off of the music of what Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. I think Green Day had one called "American Idiot." I think they did yeah, one yeah, straight yeah, off that did, album. And the one that I'm in, that I'm waiting for is it ran off Broadway and they're retooling it for Broadway. Is the Huey Lewis musical? So really? Huey Lewis, maybe two years ago, two, three years ago, they wrote a musical based off of his hits and it ran in like Southern California a little bit and they're retooling it right now to make it a Broadway musical. And I'm actually really, I actually want to go to Broadway and see it. I don't know that I'll get a chance, but I think I was listening to 80s on 8 one time and Alan Hunter was on and he said, you know that there's got to be a scene in this thing where, where there's some older guy who turns to a younger person or something and says, well, that's the power of love. And then we click into that song. Right. Well, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to see the musical Rock of Ages. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. has, ironically, Def Leppard, 
their management did not clear having that song in the musical, <laughs> even though so it, it was it was named after that. And they make right. a joke about it as soon as the musical starts. But, right. you know, you've got REO Speedwagon in there. And yep. it's just it's a really interesting, like, interweaving of all these songs. And it is interesting. There was also one you made me think of where they did an, an off-Broadway of the Van Halen story where uh-huh. two women, one portrayed David Lee Roth, the other did Eddie Van Halen. And it was it kind of a how they met and writing oh, wow. songs together. Yeah, it was really interesting. So. so, well, you know, Rock of Ages kind of came to my mind a little bit too. I, you know, I did you see the play or did you see the the film? The play. Okay, so yeah, right. That was another one. They, they like, hey, let's do all of these. Yeah, you know, it's kind of this '80s revival thing, right? Remember the '80s kind of thing, and then. You know, we'll take all these 80s hits. So, yeah, I never got to see the play, but I saw the film that they made with Tom Cruise and uh, Juliana Huff and Alec Baldwin and Russell Brand, etc. I don't know. The film was kind of corny in some ways, but it was fun to sing those 80s songs again. And yep. a bunch of like, I think you mentioned Ario Speedwagon. I think Kevin Cronin shows up in the background in the movie somewhere. And I know Sebastian Bach does. And I think Debbie Gibson does. That's amazing. And, you know, so they bring in all these people. Now, of course, I can't remember if we've talked about this on here or not, this idea that, like, there's that show out there, The Goldbergs. Yes. And, you know, I tried to watch it, and it's supposed to be about reliving the 80s, and I tried to watch an episode once, but it was about the Phillies. They they live in Philadelphia, and the Phillies were in the World Series, so I was like, well, it's got to be either 1980 or 1983, because those are the only two times during the 80s that Philadelphia was in the World Series, but then they played a song from like 1986, and I was like, "See, they're not even taking themselves seriously, right? They're they're doing this this song that can't be played at the time that they're playing it." And so when I watched Rock of Ages, when I watched the film, it's supposed to take place in 1987, but they're in a music store, and like a Skid Row song from 1989 is playing in the music store. And so there, there's a part of me that can just not, I can't get around that. The same thing happened. I've been watching uh, Stranger Things on Netflix. And mm-hmm. they did at one point, the first season is supposed to take place in 1983. And at one point they're playing Sunglasses at Night. And it's like two years too early for that. And, and you know, it's one thing, like they'll play later songs. Like there's a, there's a scene where they play uh, Hazy Shade of Winter by the Bangles which is one of my favorite remakes of all time. But they're using it as part of the soundtrack, right? It's not like the characters are mm. listening to it. And mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because you're you're using this as the soundtrack to the show or to the film. But when they actually have the characters listen to it as if they would have been listening to that at that point, which is what happened with Sunglasses at Night, which is what happened with, with the Goldbergs, which is what happened with Rock of Ages, that's like one of my pet peeves. You know, as somebody who grew up in the 80s, who takes 80s music seriously, mm-hmm. I know there's, you know, everybody's laughing at me for just saying that. But right, for taking 80s music seriously, every time that happens, there's a, a little thing that goes off in my head. And I just, even if I like the movie or the show, it's always got a knock against it. Yeah, I really think those shows are trying to tell a story once again. And the music is just there to keep it together. So right. It's exactly falling into what we've been talking about, kind of this theory. All right, yep. quick question for you, Ray. So I'm going to give you, and this is, I'm guessing off of this, okay? But I'm going to give you my top three favorite movie songs. Now, I think one of them is going to surprise you, all right? 
So get your mind thinking here, what could your possibly top three be? I know it's tough. Okay. I think number one for me is going to be Ghostbusters. There's just okay. there's just something about that song. It always made me laugh. The video, they spun around Bill Murray at the end like he was breakdancing. It just makes me smile. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it. Power Love. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Back mm-hmm. to the Future. I'm going 80s again. But there's just something about that keyboard riff. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to that song so many times. Just over and over thinking, I'm never going to get sick of this song. And here I am, you know, 30-something years later, and I can listen to it again, and yep. and I like it. Now, my, my third one, which is going to probably surprise you, is I like Lose Yourself by Eminem. Okay. You know, he came out with that movie, yeah. 8 Mile. And when I heard that guitar riff in that song, I go, there's, there's no way. Who's this? But the way his cadence and the way he builds the song and gets you, uh-huh. it just gets you pumped up. And Lose Yourself and I, the Tiger, are kind of fighting mm-hmm. for each other there for me. Sure. But there's just something about that song that just gets me pumped up. So, a couple things I want to mention before I give some answers. Mm-hmm. I, the Tiger, was number one right now in 1982. It was in the midst of its six-week run. It's amazing. So, right, that's, you know, Rocky. And, that, and of course, you know, and, and that's another band. One of the things when we talk about music soundtracks... I always think of Kenny Loggins in the 80s because he made it, you know, he built his career in the 80s off of music soundtracks. But Survivor did some of that, too, because they had Eye of the Tiger for Rocky 2 and then Rocky 3 Burning Heart, right? Or No, that should have been Rocky 4. I'm, that's why I'm. But okay. they, anyway, they came out later with Burning Heart off another Rocky soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So and you mentioned Power of Love. Told you my brain's not working today, so forgive me my errors. I know I'm making a zillion of them. But Power of Love, you're dead on right I don't know if that's in my top three, but it's it's in the conversation. If I had to pick my favorite Huey Lewis song of all time, that's mm-hmm. it. Okay. I mean, hands down. Uh, and like you said, I can listen to that song. Here we are almost 35 years later, and I could listen to that song every day, 10 times a day, and be okay with it. If I'm giving you my top three, I don't know, man. I'd have to actually think about this probably for three days. I know I mentioned Gloria Love by Peter Cetera. That okay. would be in there. Okay. That would almost certainly be in there. Other contenders would be John Parr, St. Almost Fireman in Motion. The feel of that song. Great song. Oh, my. That, that's just one that you just, it just pumps you up. The feel of that song is just so good. He almost didn't write that song. Really? I didn't Yeah. I, I didn't know this story. Yeah, I was, I was reading something about this recently where he was pressured to write that song. He already had his, uh, I guess he just kind of threw it together. Because that was also, wasn't that a John Hughes film too? No, St. Almost Fire is, is not a John Hughes film. Okay. It's got the Brack Pack members in it, but it's not a that John That always Hughes throws film. me off, but I, I know that he was asked at the last minute to kind of write that song, and he just wasn't, you know, it took him a little while, yeah. and then it just came to him. But right. he was a little reluctant of releasing that one. Well, you mentioned John Hughes. Uh, Don't You Forget About Me has got to be in my top three too. Oh, I yeah. I love that song, and... I can't see a world without that in, in right up there for me, but I'd have to think, I don't That's know. I mean, so I've got two Gloria love and, and don't you forget yeah. about me are in there. You know, it seems like everything I'm saying is from like a three year time period there, but I'm sure if I, if I think about it a little more, some other ones will come to me. Uh, well, I like I to love, throw you on your spot. I love yeah. Hungry eyes by Eric Carmen. I mean, I could just keep going. I think if I really, there's a lot of movie songs. Go. There, there uh, really are. You know, you, you mentioned Secret Garden by Bruce Springsteen. It wouldn't be in my mm-hmm. top three, but Streets it, of Philadelphia. Streets of Philadelphia. Another yeah, one from a movie. Oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I think 
Gloria Love and Don't You Forget About Me would be in the top three. Those two for sure. And that is interesting. After, think about after that. that. I'd have to think. Movie soundtracks kept the boss alive for a little while there because he was down <laughs> in, the in the mid 90s yeah, right when things were kind of slipping he's like all right and he yep. he did two legitimate hits that's amazing yep well secret garden though was a was a retread right he had already done that on an album two years before and they brought it back for that movie so it's kind of like i mentioned reality bites do you remember this story that what was it you two on zuropa album has the song the first time Okay. You remember that song? Yeah. And I like that song. And I remember you telling me that you were watching Reality Bites and this U2 song comes on and you thought it was the first time and it ended up being All I Want Is You because oh, yeah. the, the guitar part at the beginning is really similar. Do you remember that? Barely. Anyway, yeah. I remember you saying that and then you're like, no, wait. And because I like both songs because they're real similar. And All I Want Is You is my favorite U2 song. Uh, yeah. But it's really originally a song off of Rattle and Hum that Reality Bites took and used for the movie and then kind of made it a, a hit again for a little bit, although it was never a big hit. Wow. So I guess, I mean, technically, if that, I, I don't really count that as a movie. It's, it True. is a movie song because Reality Bites, but for me, it's a Rattle and Hum song because I knew yeah. it, you know, six years earlier from a from Rattle and Hum, so to me that's not really a, a movie song in my head. You do have an interesting point here, is that one thing I always found fascinating that drove me a little crazy for a while there was there was a song in the movie, but it's not on the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. So you hear it, and you're like, oh, man, I saw that. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go buy the soundtrack. You go out, you, you plunk down some cash or you, whatever, you buy it, and you're like, where's, where's the song that I heard in the movie? There's one famous one that... Because I'm a big Van Halen fan, it was called Wildlife. It was probably yeah. about like 80, I think 83, 84, something yep. like that. But it had Sean Penn's brother in it. Yep. And the, the kid from Weird Science, yep. he was in there. And the whole soundtrack was Van Halen. You bought the actual like cassette. There's only one song by Eddie Van Halen on it. You're like, well, where's, where's the rest of the music? And recently, a Van Halen website released all the tracks from it. All the music soundtrack that was in the movie, you can actually go and listen to. Isn't that the one that has uh, Donut City? Donut City. It sounds like Van Halen. Yeah, it sounds like Turn Me Loose by Loverboy, if you listen to it. Yep. I mean, I remember watching that movie all the time when I was a kid. Yeah. I probably, you know, probably my parents didn't know I was watching it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it has Eric Stoltz in it and Chris Penn. I forgot about Eric Stoltz was in there. Yeah, and yeah. Leah Thompson is in it. I'm trying to remember because I thought that I think, you know, we've been mentioning John Hughes. Mm -hmm. I thought that he was a writer for that. But don't quote me on that. I, I might be. No, it. he was a writer for um, it's probably because I'm thinking of Eric Stoltz because he was a, he wrote uh, some kind of wonderful. Mm. That's what I'm thinking of. You know, but maybe that's part of it, too, is that this all mixes together. Right. It does. It really does. Because yep. if you think about it, there are a lot of movies that. Like we're saying, either the song came out, then it was in the movie, or the movie comes out and they put a song in it. There was a movie that was with uh, John Cusack a few years ago, 20 now almost, High Fidelity. Jack Black mm -hmm. was in it. Mm -hmm. It was all about a record store owner. And the soundtrack was, was kind of a little off. But I just remember watching that movie, wanting to go and buy some vinyl. Because <laughs> it, yep. it kind of puts you in the mood. And I remember 
Walking on Sunshine was in it, and Jack Black was making a big deal about it, and they were talking about music selection. So there's some movies where I actually think of a song now, and I think, oh yeah, it was in High Fidelity, Walking on Sunshine, or you you think of certain things. And then the Brady Bunch movie came out. I mean, there's so many interesting things that are out there with movies. And what we hope with, with this episode is that you think about the fact that, how do I say this? There are a lot of movies out there that either were inspired by music or the music in it will inspire you. But to everyone that's thinking about composing music or or going in this industry and doing this without music, these movies, I think you said it earlier, let's kick it all off. You said it best. They wouldn't be the same. For this episode, we want one last thing from you, Ray. Okay. Think about no, this. American Pie, the song has nothing to do with the movie. No, what? <laughs> Man, how did you know? I was going to ask about American Pie in the movie. Are you serious? Well, there was an American Pie soundtrack, and I remember purchasing it. I think Blink-182 was on it, and that was okay. the main reason I got it. But, yeah, there's a lot of scenes of him running in between the houses and stuff, and they were playing Blink-182 sure. music. No, but uh, my question was kind of going down that path. But I was interested to know... When it comes to movie soundtracks, is there a score? Because you talk about listening to scores that you would say is in your memory, the one that you can't get out of your head the moment you turn it off. Well, I mean, Star Wars. Star Wars. I mean, <laughs> there, there. I can talk about a lot of scores. I listen, I, like I said, I listen to scores but the one that's going to always, always, always be in my head, because you, as you just said, you said that I said and you just said that music makes the movie. I mean, Star Wars is one of the biggest film phenomenons in film history. You know, the original Star Wars film in terms of the all time gross, it's down to like number 20 now or something. But mm-hmm. when they when they adjust for inflation, it's the second biggest film of all time after Gone with the Wind. And. It's a phenomenon that created so much of culture for the past 45 years. And be, whether it's action figures, right, which really come from Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But the idea, I mean, Star Wars did not originate the score. There were plenty of scores that did well before that. There were hits, hit singles off of scores. The love theme from Romeo and Juliet was 50 years ago this summer. You know, we can go on and on about that. Mm-hmm. But the music to Star Wars was such an important piece of what made that film so big. That opening theme that gets reused for all the subsequent Star Wars film is the opening theme, at least the beginning of it. It created a phenomenon out of John Williams. So here he is, you know, doing all of these films over the past four decades and but it's not just that the cantina band theme that was an that was a major part of that film that was part of the memory of that film was hey mm-hmm. that cool music that they were playing in the cantina band so to me it's star wars it's hands down star wars yeah that's amazing i don't think i have one that can top that i was going to go down the path the superman theme once i hear mm-hmm. that I just can't get it out of my head, and it's John Williams again. So mm-hmm. I think everything, to me, goes back to John Williams because Indiana Jones, you just keep Very going fun. down that path. Yep. You just can't get those songs out of my head. He just he has a knack for it. Well, Ray, as always, we want to thank everyone for 
tuning in to this podcast about movies. Let us know what your favorite movies and soundtrack music is. We'll make sure to post it up. And we will see you next time on Tunes Mate. It's Mark. And Ray. Sayonara. <laughs>